no way. Anyway, Shabbos Pashvez Chanon, Shabbos Nachamu. Shabbos Nachamu is the first of the Shivad in the You know, you young people don't understand what it's like for us old people to get old. Put, fill up a cup. And I don't remember taking more than a sip. And the cup is empty. We start to wonder and to worry. Hello. In the middle of a class. What happened? Okay, we're going to dedicate the shir to Igor Yitzchak. What? He's in the hospital. He's in the hospital. Good. We have a special guest today. Meshit Tzvi. And Meshit Tzvi really wants to hear the shir in Yiddish, but it would be difficult to broadcast that. So Meshit Tzvi... That's my shoulder, Kim. I could have no gorgeous boy. Being recorded. Go ahead. I, I will not interrupt him. So I'm ask him. Rabbi has a couple who needs to say amen to the brachas. They have some problem with their chuppah. He wants to know. Can I tell Rabbi Rabbi to call you? Does it have to right now? No, it can be at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. Okay. Call my father. Okay. Wonderful. Shabbos Nachmu is always Pashvis Hanan. Interestingly, from the Pashas, the Shabbosim, as we spoke last Shabbos, Shabbos Nachmu is one of the Shabbosim that gets a name derived from the Haftorah. And the Haftorah of Nachmu, Nachmu, Ami is where God gives his condolences to the Jewish nation. And it's known to be the first of the Shiva de Nechemta. The first of the seven Haftaris that come and give Nechama, give condolence to the Jewish nation, to the Jewish people. Shabbos Nachmo, on a general basis, bridges two very interesting weeks. One week, which is highlighted with Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of Av, a day signifying and reminding us of all the churban, all the destruction that went on in the Jewish temple, in the, in the temples, in the Israel, the Beis Amigdash, Harishin, Beis I'm slurring, and I'm losing it, and I have to really concentrate today. And the traffic is not helping. Yeah. 
And also, the week after, Shabbos we spoke many times, is a, da- is a day which is known as Minim is Kuli Yemen. Shabbos is a day that benches all the days, it blesses all the days of the week. And the question that arises, do it, does it bless the days of the week prior to the days of the week after? And the answer is a simple thing, it blesses both. It blesses the week beforehand. And therefore we say the entire week is the week of Shabbos, Shabbos Vashanan, Pashas Vashanan, when a person addresses a letter, the person says, Sheni Vashanan, or Shlishi Vashanan, the second or third day of the week of Pashas Vashanan. And then eventually the week thereafter, because as we say on the day of the week, we say on Shabbos, and we find also, when we bench, when we bless the new month, it's done on the Shabbos before the Shabbos of the before Ishkadesh. So the Shabbos before Ishkadesh is the day that we bench the new month. It's called Shabbos Mevarchem Achadesh. So from there we see, we derive that benching of Shabbos can bench, bless the Shabbos that is the week that is upcoming, that is forthcoming. And therefore, when we look at Pashas Vashanan, Vashanan, if it comes Shabbos after Tishabov, then it's a very great likelihood it'll be the Shabbos before Tubav, as we find this year. This year, Tubav, the 15th day of Av, we have another reason for celebration, Baruch Hashem, the wedding. Shabbat Tovah. The Mishnah tells us in the end of Masech, this Tainus, there was no day as special, as great to the Jews as the 15th day of and the day of Yom Kippur. The Rebbe expounds on this very, very, very many different sikhs. And hopefully in Be'at Sashem, we will give out a booklet, a pamphlet by the Chasana of the Rebbe's explanation of the connection of Tuba of Anyam Kippur. Question is, what is the 15th day of Av? Firstly, I revealed to our Chasen Kala last week the gr- one of the great things of Tuba of on the 15th day of Av, besides it being a day that they'll always remember for the anniversary, today you're not allowed to fast. You're not allowed to fast. Even a chas kala cannot fast the day of the chuppah. Because it is such a special holy day. No, not that. That's also something. Yeah, yeah, this particular day is a day that if you're getting, see, if you have, if you fast on, if you get married on Shkedish, you don't want to fast on Shkedish. You have to make up for it another day. Two above is a level where just it's, it doesn't doesn't merit a, a you didn't do anything. You're getting married on such an auspicious day that it brings it doesn't bring down even the Ramah doesn't say, and you have to therefore make it up for another day, which is interesting. Although any God-fearing Jew will ultimately make it up on another day. It's a memorial for many, many different events. The first and the most famous event that Tubav is remembered for is the Jews, when they were decreed to die in the Midrash, and die in the desert, 
and they were told that they're not going into Israel, they're not going into the Holy Land, they wandered for 40 years in the desert. In the course of the 40 years, 600,000 people died. If that was the exact number, it was around the, a round number, but the number of 600,000 people that were under the decree that were between the age of 20 and 60 years of age. Then when? They died in the course of the years. Why did they have to die in the course of the years? That's when the time came. How did it work? The rest of the year didn't go in Eretz Yisrael, and they stayed in Midbar. That's worse. That's worse than the punishment. That was part of the punishment. Part and parcel, part, or even more so. But they get stuck so that was part of the tshuva. It was part of tshuva. It was part of the tshuva. How did how did the judgment days come by? Careful, how did the judgment days come about? In a very interesting way. A ditch would be dug on the day before Tishabov, and fifteen thousand Jews would go into the ditch. Came overnight. They stayed in the grave overnight. In the morning, if you woke up, you came out of the grave, and if you didn't, they buried you. <laughs> this, therefore, mm-hmm. happened every year to Shabbat in the forty years of the desert. Do they know where the gravesite is? There's different ones. Do they know where they are? Okay, Sinai Desert. In Berdichev, you have a very mass grave. It's called, uh, what's it called? Abayar? Yeah, but Berdichev is not where uh, no. they were for 40 years. Then, on the last year of the desert, on the last year in the Midbar, they went into the grave the night before, and everybody woke up the next morning. They thought it might have been the wrong day. Yeah. So they said it must be the wrong date. And they did this for another day and another day until the moon was full. On the 15th day of the month, the month of the moon is full. And therefore they knew now that it was the 15th day of the month. It could not have been tests anymore. They could not have made a mistake by that much. And they knew that the Gezeo was nullified. We find a, a similar story. In a city known as Polonia. In the, ci- in the city of Polonia, there was a tzaddik, his name was Yaakov Yosef. Yaakov Yosef of Polonia. Yaakov Yosef of Polonia was a very learned man, a very righteous man, a very holy man. He had one little problem. His problem was a man named Yerushal Baal Shem Tov. He was a tremendous antagonist against the Baal Shem. He held that the Bashem was doing something wrong. He didn't know what it was. There was something wrong with the Bashem. They never really met. The Bashem, though, was once invited to Polonia to speak. So, Jacques was going to, as the of the city, tried to put a block to it. But then he said, I have nothing really to substantiate my hatred. I have to let it be. 
And along came the Vashem to the shul to speak. While the Vashem was speaking, Yaakov Yosef entered into a dilemma. His dilemma was, he tried to open a book, he tried to learn, and he couldn't concentrate. So he tried maybe to say some tilim. He tried to do something. He tried to this. Tried to pray. So tried to. No matter what he tried to do, he could not get the mood. He could not find his way into learning. And he didn't know what to do. Being recorded. Mahana, Mahana's not here. Try what he made, all the tricks that he ever did. He lied down for a few minutes, he this, he that. It was not working. Finally, the Yaakovich decided he put on his coat, he's going to go for a walk. He's going to air his head out, maybe he'll be able to learn. He puts on his coat and he starts to walk, and the streets are empty. And he realizes that before he turns right or left, he's standing in front of the shoulder. And the shul is packed. Which justifies the streets being empty. Comes to the outside of the shul, and he hears the Bashem to speaking. Rebbe hears him talking, no more, no less. Your rabbi, your town, this town of Polonia is a holy Jew. Very holy Jew. He's so holy, he's capable of bringing Mashiach. But, when he heard this, not enough he's talking about me, he's going to put me down now in front of all my people also. His rage started to... Before he could storm the shul, Vashenta continued, he listened. He had a problem. It happened to him last year, Tishabov. On Tishabov, Yaakov was sitting on the floor, and he was mourning properly, doing what he had to, all of a sudden, the heavens above were shaking from his prayers. So the Sultan decided, I have to get a crack at this guy. And he asked permission, he was granted permission, go down and deal with him a little bit. And the Sultan comes down to the Yaakovic Polonia in the form of an old Jew with a beautiful, delicious red apple. 
And he says to Rabbi, you don't look good. No, you look fine. He's awake? You look great. No, no, no. He's not awake. He's cheerful. What? <laughs> you don't look good. You look very, very weak. And the truth is, looking so weak, looking so weak, truthfully, according to the halacha, you're allowed to eat. Don't be foolish. Why, 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 why? You're scared? Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. He's not going to eat. Don't, don't make me tell you the end of the story right away. No, 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 give me, give me. No, 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 eat it easy. And so, the old man started to antagonize. And as the old man is talking to him, telling him how weak he looks and how sickly he looks and how bad he looks, he started feeling worse, worse, and worse. And he says, listen, don't be a fool. Here's a delicious apple. Don't be a fool and take a bite of an apple because you're going to die. And it's Pekoch Nefesh. And if you're going to die from it, you don't have to fast. It's unheard of. I'm Tishabov to eat. But as he's talking, the world's starting to turn black. He's feeling a tremble. His whole body is starting to shake from weakness. He's petrified. What is it? And finally, he starts to fall back. And the man's begging him, please don't be foolish. Take an apple, make the bracha. Eat the apple. And he took the apple in his hand already and he's trembling and he's ready to faint. And he starts and he makes the bracha and then he realizes, what am I crazy on Tishabav I'm going to eat? After he made the bracha, he took the apple without a bracha, without eating it and threw the apple away. The Sultan failed. Sultan didn't get him to eat. Next night after Tishabav, Yaakov has a dream. He's walking on the path of a beautiful palace. And outside the palace is a magnificent apple garden. An orchard of apples. And there's a guard. He turns to the guard and he says, Tell me, whose who's apples are these? Are they yours? They're mine. How do you know how to plant an apple? I don't know where to look at the seeds. What do you mean they're mine? He says, they're your apples. These are forbidden. These are forbidden apples. And they're yours. You created them when you made the bracha and you didn't eat from it. You created all these apples. And Yosef was devastated. He says, what, what do I do? He says, you have to do tshuva. You have to repent. And he says, and when I repent, how will I know that my repentance was accepted? He says, you will know your repentance is accepted when you see the trees turned upside down. And he woke up from the dream trembling. He know this is not a dream, this is real. And so Yaakov Yosef went and took upon himself to fast the entire week. 
from Shabbos to Shabbos only drinking a little bit of water at night. And so he fasted week at, the first week. And after the first week he had a vision that all the apples fell off the trees. And he fasted the second week and he saw all the leaves came off the trees. And he fasted a third week and all the branches started to shrivel. The Bashemta is telling this story, mind you. And try as he may, he cannot get a vision of the trees turning upside down. The Bashemta screams, Until he'll become my disciple, he will never see those trees turned upside down. At this point, Yaakov Yosef realized that the Bashemta was no ordinary person. And immediately, Yaakov Yosef came in and apologized to Bashemta and became a promised student of the Bashemta. He ultimately was the youngest of the Tamil Bashem. But he was the first to write any safer on the teachings of the Bashem HaKadosh. It's called Tildes Yaakov Yosef. So we see, therefore, that when Chassidus of Hashem was initiated, when Chassidus of Hashem started, it started in a way that we did not understand, we did not know where it was coming from and how it was to be accepted in the world. As did the Jews in the desert, they did not know where they were coming from and how and when that term would be ultimately finished. And it was only when they all stopped dying did they figure out that they were now in good shape. Interestingly, to note, this burial, annual burial on Tishabot, to God, in God's eyes, was considered a war against the Jews. That's how God labeled it. And God tells Moshe, as long as this war is enraged, I will not speak to you. And God, unless there was something that had to be spoken to Moshe about something, God does not speak to Moshe until the day of this Tuba of this Chamisha of when they found that the Jews were not dying. So in essence, it was 40 years and 6 days. He died in Zion How is that? The next year. So he lasted an extra year longer than wasn't the whole year, but yeah, one after other. It was only at this point that God started to speak to him. The truth is that the war itself finished the year before, because the last group of people that died died in the ditch the year before, the year prior. But it was not evident until now. Only now did they see that that last year was the last time people would die in the ditch. Pasha Veschanan itself has many, many different things to it. And mainly, Pasha Veschanan, I, I did a favor to the Shamas in the Shul this week because he was um, enumerating.
he was enumerated, he was telling me which aliyahs are given out already. And he told me, well, because I need maftir. My mother's yacht says next week. Which one did you get? We didn't get anything yet. You're going to get to be a girl on Friday. Girl on Friday, I'll put a goat up his... She told me there was Kayan and there was a Levi. There was a Kayan and a Levi. And then the Shlishi, Revi, Hamishi, and Shishi and already taken. So I said to him, Excuse me, but Revi has been taken before you wrote anything on the list. So what do you mean? So Revi is Aseris Adibris. He said, Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. So the Rebbe already spoke a long sikh about the the Rav of the Shul, has, the Rav of the community, has to get a Sarasadibris, no games. So the Ten Commandments is Revi, which was ultimately today's Chitas, by the way, for those who are keeping keeping score at home. Um, Nobody's going to have to say what's And you know that how? And therefore, and therefore, the V, being assessed, we have to a little scrutinize slightly how the Ten Commandments went. Now, technically, we already heard. Oh no. You can't be starving. You're all done. Technically. He has to be starving. Technically, the Ten Commandments we read already in Pasha's Yisrael. If we read the Ten Commandments in Pasha's Yisrael. If we read the Ten Commandments in Pasha's Yisrael. Then why would we repeat them here? And if we're repeating them here, the Chayda, they should be the exact same words. They were the Ten Commandments that were spoken on Sinai. So the Ten Commandments were spoken in the Yisrael technically should be the same as they are here. When we look at them, when we see there's a difference, and a major difference. Pasha's Yisrael, it says, Zacher is here, Meshavah's Nekadshe. And here it says, Shomer is here, Meshavah's. In Yisrael, it talks about Shmirat Shabbat, keeping Shabbos. And it says, Zachor et Yom HaShabbat Kachor. Remember, they have Shabbos to sanctify it. And here, <coughs> it tells us, Shamor et Yom HaShabbat Kachor, Kachor, Tzim HaShem what? No. I said it's powerful. Yeah. I say amen to it, but it's powerful. 
And when it talks about Shminat Shabbat here in this week's parsha, it says, "Vizacharta ki eved hayita beretz mitzrayim veyitziach Hashem lekecha misham." You have to remember also. You have to remember. If you don't make no cover the rest of the cost. In Yeshli, cover. In Yeshli, the million dollar balanka. We talking the ten of You have to remember, you have to keep the Shabbos and remember that God took you out of Egypt. That you were servants in Egypt. Egypt. So firstly, what is the change? Zachar and Shama. Either God said Zachar or He said Shama. It was the Ten Commandments that God said on Sinai. How does it change? So Rashi immediately jumps on it. Yashi, Rashi is very concerned with the Bechamash the Mikra. He's very concerned with that five, that year, little five-year-old boy learning Chumash. And what his concern is that the five-year-old has a phenomenal memory. And he says to himself, the five-year-old, if I learned it, why should I forget it? If I learned it, I have no reason to forget it. And therefore, the five-year-old remembers everything he learned. So he looks at the Pasuk here and it says, Shama Yashem Shabbat Tukatshri. And he remembers that back in Yisrael says Zachar to Yomashal. So Rashi says Shamor. Uber Shonotu Omer Zachor. And the first ones he said Zachor. Shneyem Bediburechot. They were both said in one word. Ubeteva Achasnema. Once one. God mentions one mention. And it's one word. Ubeshmiya Achas Nishmu. And he takes it one step further. They were heard in one voice. You want to tell me God said them both at once? I am prepared to acquiesce. See, we're, in, we're not in Flatbush, so we don't have to expect that, so we have to use big words about them. I'm prepared to accept. God said Zachar and Shammah together. Do I understand, do I grasp where that comes from? It's beyond my reach. It's beyond my level. It's out of my league. You're telling me though that God did it, I can believe God did it. Because God is capable of doing anything. Rashi goes a step further and tells the Mechamash the Mikra, you want to say, I mean, the Mechamash Mikra has a question. God said, Zachar Shamar, one word. What would be the question of the Mechamash the Mikra? What did they hear? The guy was speeding on the highway. And he saw a cop. He slammed on his brakes. He was doing 97, he was doing 107, or whatever he was doing. So he slammed on his brakes, he slowed him down to pass the cops. What is it? Slowed him down 10 miles, 15 miles an hour. Cop pulls him over immediately. He says, Do you know how fast you were going? He tells the guy. So the guy says, I know how fast I was going. What did you collect me at? Iran, I went with my father in Montreal once. They had a GPS. All of a sudden. All of a sudden. This GPS, if you have to go 85 miles an hour, cause that's the only way it stays with the radar. With the, with the satellite. satellite. <laughs> it's a searching satellite. <laughs> it's a searching satellite. 
searching silent. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. The car went on this morning. Three by all. Oh, like that. Sometimes we need to make things fit. You, you want to tell a very funny story? Is the story of the uh, fellow came to a movie. You're looking at it. You remind me here, you're BBMing and you're uh, talking, instant messaging on the phones and text messaging, and all of a sudden you could talk. My daughter in Switzerland talks to me on, my, on the BBM. She types in her phone in Switzerland, and it comes up on my phone in Brooklyn. Said it again, I'm sorry. My daughter in Switzerland, Geneva, has yeah. a Blackberry. Yeah. She no problem, they talk, we talk all day. They tell a story of a guy that this must have been a good friend of mine, it must have happened to him, because it must be my, my times. He comes to movie theater, and he buys his ticket for movie theater, and he comes to buy popcorn. And the guy asks him for the price for the popcorn. Wait a minute. And the guy says to him, you know, oh, he says, the last time I came to a movie theater, a bag of popcorn was 15 cents. He says, oh, you're going to be very surprised. He says, why? It's because the movie has sound now. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So we have to see to it that we fit the mold when we say Zohar and Shammah and God said it at once the first human question is what did he hear? God said Zohar and Shammah together what did they hear? like what did you clock me at? and the answer says Rashi to the Muhammad Shemekha they heard both as supernatural as the expression was, that's how supernatural the hearing was. We have to fit the mold. There was on, on there's still a store on Avenue J in, Bro- in Brooklyn. Proper. It's not an advertisement. There's a suit store. It's called Rosa Englander. She was an alto yidin there. She had no children there. And um, ultimately she had it. an Arab worker that used to work and now he runs the store. But he has a beard and everything. See, we kill you know, he, the only funny thing is you come in there, this guy with a beard, and he looks so, and you come in, he has, <laughs> he has no yarmulke. So Rose Englander was very, very unique in her in her sales. 
and you'd come and you'd order a suit. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> You would order a suit and she would do the tailoring for you. And you'd come pick up the suit and you see the poor guy standing there. And the guy comes in and he says, Rosa, the left sleeve is longer than the right one. So Rosa says, No, Rosa, really, look, look. And the guy puts his hands down. You see, the left sleeve is like three inches longer than the right one. And she says, come here, come here, pick up your hand. Pick up your hand again. <laughs> oh, you see, it's perfect. Okay, stay like that. Standing there. And the, rosa, the, the right sleeve, the right leg is longer than the left leg. She says, move your foot forward. Move forward. Oh, bend your knee. Perfect. Now look at it. Rosa, but my shoulder pad is too low. Shoulder pad is too low. Come here, bend over this way. Bend over. Oh! oh. Don't move. So this guy is standing there like this, in the middle of the store, and these two guys walk in. One guy says, Oh, you never look at this poor guy. I wonder what kind of condition he has. He's standing like that. The other guy says, I don't know, but Rosa made him a perfect suit. It's a true story. This is how those England would sell suits. Put your hand here, put your foot up, and leave it over. The suit is perfect, yeah. So you had a whole bunch of crippled people walking around. What? It's the heart stays the same. So you had a bunch of crippled people walking around a flatbush. We have to figure out how to conform things. In Chernobyl, there was a dove. Before, before the uh, meltdown, it goes back a couple hundred years ago. And there was a fellow that was a very successful businessman, and he only had one problem: he wasn't devoting enough time for Torah. So he decided he wants to devote more time to Torah study. So he asked his wife to run the business. His wife said, fine. And he started to teach her the business. And he started to teach her the ropes of the business. And she was very good. She caught on very well. She caught on in a very, very short time. She had no problem doing everything the business had to have. She knew how all the men, all the customers were, all the affluent customers, all the good ones, the bad ones. She knew who wanted what merchandise, what merchandise she could sell here, what merchandise she could sell there. And she was doing very well for herself. And this man went to the Besmedish, got himself his farm, and sat down to learn. And he sat and learned all day, and his wife ran the business. The arrangement worked magnificent. The money was still coming in the same amount. He was sitting and learning and coming a Godel Batera. And she was doing what had to happen. The only problem came about after a few years where she started getting very used to the clientele and a little too friendly with the clientele. 
it started sinking into her. Otherwise, she was a very, very religious from woman. I wouldn't even think of, God forbid, sinning or anything different. And now, all of a sudden, and now, all of a sudden, she was getting too friendly with an old man. One trip, the wagon driver took her out to one of the nobleman's houses. And what used to happen was she would go inside, she would collect the money, and they would bring out merchandise or take in merchandise, whatever had to happen. She went in, and he waited and waited and waited, and things taking too long. So the wagon driver got antsy, and he got off the wagon, and he came to the window, and did not like what he saw between the woman and the nobleman. He ran back to the wagon, and the woman came back after a while to the wagon. He rode her home without saying a word, and then he came to the husband and he told him the story. The man was devastated. He ran immediately to the Rav. What can I do? What should I do? Can I live with her? She sins. And the Rav didn't know what to answer. So he started to send out correspondence to different Abanim all over because there's only one witness you need two and after all the correspondence he kept getting back responses from different people different ways <laughs> finally when he was indecisive there was a, a very special holy man in Chernobyl Avram Chernobyl who was known that he could look at somebody's forehead and tell you all their sins And they made an appointment. The Rav would take this woman and go to Avram Chernobyl and they would see what he says. Do you know don't go? Where? Anyway, day comes and the woman is standing there shaking from head to toe. She's petrified. What's going to happen? What will he say? And as they're sitting in the anteroom, she's getting more and more nervous and she's starting to tremble. She's frightened. Till finally, it was their turn to go in. It was their turn to go in. They didn't know where to go. As soon as they came into the room, she started to cry and she started to shake. And she was fainting already. And Avram picked up his head and he raised up his eyes and he looked at her. And the woman was bawling. And Avram said, Kshera. She's, she's a special woman. There's nothing wrong with her. She's innocent. They backed out of the room. The Rav was just not satisfied. The Rav said there's something that doesn't fit the mode here. He knows this man sees the sins on the forehead and everything. Something here is not ticking right. Finally, it occurred to him to write to the Tzemach Tzedek, to the third of our And he wrote a letter to the Tzemach Tzedek, and a short while later, the Tzemach Tzedek sent back 
An answer that the woman may not live with her husband, she must get a get. She sinned. The fellow asked. We went to the Rabbi Ram Chernobyl and he sees everything. And he looked at her face. You didn't see her face even. And the Rebbe Tzavosadek explained that as she was about to enter the room, she received such feeling of tshuva, such a yearn, such a burn for tshuva, she repented. So when she entered the room, he saw about tshuva. He saw a complete and total about tshuva before him. And therefore he said she was clean. But the Atom story did take place. But the tshuva was so complete that it wiped off from her face the sin. But since the sin was so severe, a woman cannot live with her husband after she does such a sin. And therefore the son of Selig knew that it was not, it was not as such. This we see, therefore, when we say Zacher v'Shama b'Dibrechod, the announcement of keeping Shabbos and remembering Shabbos is to do different types of people. We have the person that works six days a week, and on Wednesday he starts to call his father and screams Shabbos Kodesh, Shabbos Kodesh. Because Shabbos Kodesh is already coming. Because on Wednesday, we already say the small we start to prepare for Shabbos. And the whole week long, because of the hard week, he starts to feel the holy Shabbos. And looks forward to the Shabbos. Because he can rest on Shabbos. Then you have the person that doesn't work. He has Parnasa coming, he has money coming in, he sits and he learns This person comes Shabbos, Manishtana. What's the difference Friday night, Thursday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night? It's the same Kedusha, the same sanctity, the same holiness. He sits and he davens and he learns and he, and he eats his Suda and whatever it is. He makes Kiddush. But in essence, his day, except for the garment being changed, doesn't. So to these two people, we need two different Diburim. To the Rav, to the person, the special Jew that's so holy a whole week long, remember this is now Shabbos. You have to remember this is different. For the working person who just wants to sleep through his Shabbos, why? Because remember that you were a slave in Egypt and God took you out of Egypt. And because God took you out of Egypt, that's why you now have the Holy Shabbos. So in spite of the fact that you worked for six days, in spite of the fact that you were so tired from the whole work week, the seventh day is Shabbos Kodesh. There, where we can find four people on the street? I wish go look quickly at this four people. Do a myriff. Stop. Quickly, quickly, I wish quickly. You're acting autistic today. We didn't get to the dog.
He doesn't like dark. No, the question we find very quickly we have in this week's Pasha, the end of the Pasha, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echot. And we have Lumaratim Eispenechem, Shatim Eisayadechem. Teach the children, and then it says about putting on the film. But next in the next Pasha, Vahayim Shema, it's reversed. First it says about putting on the film, and then it says about <laughs> First it talks about putting on the film, and then it talks about educating the children. Why does the Torah switch it? The lesson is a very powerful one. The lesson is some people think that a child until they're by mitzvah we have to teach them. Says the Torah, even the Maratus Benechem, educate the child until the Bamitzah. So therefore, when the child turns Bamitzah, make a bracha, I've, read, I've gotten rid of this boy, I've gotten rid of this child. Says the Torah, no. Even after there's still a concept of the Maratha Mason as Benechem. Education goes on and on forever and forever. Even when they're married, even when they're out of the house, the parent is always obligated to teach the child on and on and on. And that is the difference where the Torah alternates putting Tfilin after the education and Tfilin before education. I guess we have to do my first Wednesday night, July twenty first. Take Shabbos.